this is Clint here with another special edition of the Popmatic Podcast. Today I'm pleased to bring you Bill's interview with Katherine Weiler, the daughter of William Weiler, the director of such films as Ben-Hur, The Best Years of Our Lives, and The Desperate Hours. The Desperate Hours will be playing at the Main Library's Auditorium on Saturday, March 13th at 2 p.m. Now on to the interview. My first question is, do you recall the first time you visited a film set and what the movie was and what that experience was like? Yeah, I think the first time I was on a set was probably for The Best Years of Our Lives. And The Best Years of Our Lives, I was probably about six or seven, and my sister was three or four. And my father wanted to put us in the movie, and so there was a scene where Dana Andrews, who was a very, very gorgeous man, was walking into a drugstore. And if you know exactly where to look, you can see two little girls. We were supposed to have our backs to the camera looking in a candy counter. But I had a big crush on Dana Andrews. You could see a little girl with her mouth open just staring at this actor as he walks by. That's my screen debut. It was fascinating to go and watch. At the same time, it was also, you had to be very quiet, and, you know, there was a lot of time between takes, so it would get boring pretty quickly. Your name is Catherine, and how did your parents pick that name for you? I know it's from one of your father's films. I was named for the heroine of Weathering Heights, whose name was Catherine Earnshaw. Also, I know you've been asked this before, but what's your favorite film of your father's? Well, I have I have a bunch, actually. I can't say that I have one. I think that well, it was Wuthering Heights because I was named for it, and Best Years of Our Lives because I really think that, overall, his best film. That was his favorite film because he was deafened during the war. He was making documentaries in the Air Force and lost his hearing. And so he came home very disturbed about his future. Would he be able to continue as a director? And he always said that making Best Years, he knew what it was like to be a returning veteran. And I think if you see the movie today, you can see that is as powerful now when we have returning veterans as it was in 1946-47. I mean, I think Ben-Hur is fabulous and Roman Holiday. And Funny Girl is a wonderful musical. And there's a movie that he made in the 30s called Dodsworth, which which I think is, is excellent. He made a couple of films about the futility of violence, a Western called The Big Country, and a film about Quakers in the Civil War called Friendly Persuasion. So that's to name only a few. In the movie you produced on your father, directed by William Wyler, your mother talks about how involved he was with his work, and she said it was like Willie had dived into a pool of water, and he was 15 feet deep, and she would shout at him, shout at him with not much response. And I was just curious, how did you communicate with your father while he was making a movie? Well, you know that that's right. We almost didn't see him what, during production. What the the way it went, which was actually quite fun for us was that he would lead a fairly normal nine-to-five working life when he was preparing the film, and then he would, you know, go into this, I always thought of it as sort of a long tunnel, when he was in production. That's when he would be gone before we would get up, and we wouldn't see him 
he would he would be home after we'd gone to sleep. So and and he would and on the weekends if he wasn't shooting, he would be meeting with writers or whatever. So that would be three or four months when he really wouldn't be around at all. And then in post-production, it would once again be more of a normal life. So during pre-production and post-production, that's when we would find out about his problems with the casting or the editing. We would talk about the problems of the story in in the beginning and, you know, the problems of length and whatever during the post-production. So he always invited our opinions, although he didn't very often use anything that we said. That was even leading up to the next question. I'm kind of curious about that. Could you cite an example of a film that he did ask your opinion about? Well, you see, that's the thing. He was very open to whatever we had to say so that we always read the script and, you know, then he would say, well, what did we think and how did we like this character or that character and if he was having trouble with the plot point, what did, did we think that the character should do this or that? And so he always invited a lot of discussion. But I'll tell you, I do remember, for example, there were also films that he made when I was a kid that in those days I wasn't allowed to see because, you know, they were too adult for my young ears or whatever. So one of those films was a film with Laurence Olivier called Carrie. And it wasn't a big hit at the time, although a lot of people now think it's really wonderful. But at the time it was not a big hit, and I wasn't allowed to see it till some years later. And I remember asking my father after I saw it, because it was quite a depressing, sad movie. I said, why did you want to make that story? And he said, you know... Larry Olivier asked me that every day we were shooting. <laughs> in 1990, you produced a movie called The Memphis Bell, which is also a documentary that your father directed. What was the attraction of making that movie, and how did it come about? At the time, I was at Columbia Pictures with a wonderful British producer named David Putnam who had made Chariots of Fire and The Mission and a lot of really good movies. And he was the head of Columbia, and he invited me to come there with him and said I would be in charge of all the movies that were based on true stories. So I thought Memphis Bell was a true story that my father had made and that it could lend itself to a fictionalized feature film. So that's what we did. We actually took the structure of the documentary, which was the last mission of this plane, and we just fictionalized it by creating backstories for all the characters. And it turned out very well. I'm very proud of it. In 2001, I was attending the Virginia Film Festival, and I got to see an early silent movie your father directed called The Shakedown. Oh, yeah. And the film was remastered and had an original piano score by Donald Soson. And I was curious, did you ever see this great presentation? You know, I'm not sure that I saw it with Donald Soson. I have seen it. And, in fact, it has been preserved at the George Eastman House in Rochester. And we're trying now to see if we can somehow bring it out on DVD. Because I agree with you. I think 
it's a movie that you can see was made by a young director with lots of energy, and it's really fun. Uh, yeah, and he even makes a cameo in the movie. I've forgotten that. Yeah, he was the referee. Uh-huh. Um, I'll have to look at it again. Yeah, my best friend, Lewis Hicks, loves the big country. It's one of his all-time favorite movies. Mm -hmm. And if I did not ask you do, if you had um, any memories about your father working on that movie, he would never forgive me. So do you have any special memories about the big country? Oh, sure I do. There was a big scandal in the big country, which was that... You know, that Gregory Peck and my father were good friends after Roman Holiday. And when my father approached him to make The Big Country, he said he would actually like to be a producer also, so that, you know, he could move into something else beyond just being an actor. So he became, I'm not exactly sure what his, his title was, but some, some kind of producer on the film. And one day they were out on their location uh, which was somewhere, I think, in, in the desert of California, but some hours from L.A. And my father was very stubborn. Every director I've ever met has been incredibly stubborn. And the, the movie opens with a long sequence in a what they called a buckboard with Gregory Peck and Carol Baker going home to her ranch. And it's quite a long scene, and at some point, Peck wanted him to reshoot it. That wasn't happy with his performance, I guess, when he saw when he saw the dailies. So my father thought the performance was fine and he wouldn't reshoot. They had a big fight, and Peck left and 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 went back to L.A., which of course was a terrible thing to do because that left the production high and dry. And he was gone for I don't know two or three days. And everybody was horrified. And finally he came back. And he and my father did not speak again for 20 years or so, maybe longer. Anyway, in the late 70s, my father was receiving the AFI Life Achievement Award. And Peck was there that night. And he approached my father backstage and stuck out his hand and said, you know, whatever he said, something nice. And so my father shook his hand and said, well, I tell you, I'm still not going to reshoot the buckboard scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope that's a good story for your friends. Oh, it, it, that's a wonderful. He'll appreciate <laughs> it. And my final question, in doing research, I read where you're the artistic director of the Rochester High Falls International Film Festival. And could you tell me about your position in the film festival itself? Sure. Well, in fact, I, I uh, am no longer in that position. When I was the founding artistic director of this festival, which began in Rochester, New York, in 2001, actually about five weeks after September 11th. We were terrified, but five weeks seemed to be just enough time that people showed up and we started off with a nice big audience. And the, the, the uniqueness of this festival was that it was meant to celebrate the work of women in all positions behind the camera because they do still have a lot of difficulty, you know, just getting hired at the same rate as men. Women directors, cinematographers, they all have a very hard time getting work. So that was what our festival is about, show their work and help them to get more of it. 
But this past summer, they decided to change the festival quite radically, at which point I resigned. And it's, it's actually, it's got a new name. It's now called Film 360 365. Well, I'm sorry to hear. What, but I had a great nine years. It was really fun. And it, we, we made something quite unique and that we were quite proud of. Well, fantastic. I'll leave it at that. And I just want to say um, thank you, Miss Wilder, for taking this time to do this for us. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that you asked. I hope you have a great screening.